Thanks for joining us this afternoon to talk about politics, sure. race, sports. You have a unique background, given what you do at KTB, Killing mm -hmm. the Breeze. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm just kind of curious, your thoughts on several different arenas. It'd be good to know your observations as we navigate these tricky political waters, uh -huh. 2017. They are tricky, man. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So just starting off, you talk a lot about identity politics mm -hmm. on social media. Where are we as a country today with identity politics? What does that mean to you? So I think we've progressed a great deal as far as identity politics are concerned. Well, first, I, I'm of the belief that all politics are identity politics. It's a matter of what it is that you feel is the most important thing to you as far as, I hate to say politics are concerned, social issues are concerned, whatever it is you want to concern. So, Originally, and I think we have a history in this country of saying that politics, as they are, the neutral default or non-identity, you know, politics, or people talk about tribalism, things of that nature, but the idea of the neutral default kind of way we look at things is basically from the perspective of what's best for, like, white males. <laughs> and so I think now we're, in, we're kind of sort of an arena in a time where that's not what we're just looking at. A lot of, There are a lot of underrepresented groups, a lot of people of color, women, uh, LGBT community who are like, there are specific things that matter to me, that impact me, that may not be what's best for the quote-unquote default setting, the quote-unquote non-identity politics. So the fact that that term is kind of sort of in the lexicon now of a lot more people than it was before, I think that's a good thing. People, I think, is it, there's this idea that we need to fall away from identity politics, fall back from these quote-unquote tribes that we're in. And I can understand the reasoning for that, the wanting for that. We're all one people. We all want equality. I get that. But there are specific issues that affect me as a black man, you as a Jewish man, my roommate as a Jewish woman, my homegirl as a mixed race woman aren't just going to be addressed via, hey, like if a rising tide lifts all boats, like, hey, like, this will be good for you too. That's my favorite one. It's like, well, okay, like eventually this will, eventually I'll figure out that this is good for me, but the answer, is it though? Like, we don't know. So like, let's address these things at the forefront, at the top. So. I guess that's a long-winded answer, but I love identity politics. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of lefty folks who might say that identity politics is a pejorative way of looking at the way they treat our system and the way they address issues in the system. You, on the other hand, embrace that oh, concept. Absolutely. For me, embracing identity politics is essentially, I, I, I can't give, I could give credit, but I forgot who initially told me. I did something like identity politics just means that we're serious about civil rights for everybody. We aren't just going to take this kind of point of view of, hey, like, whatever the prevailing sentiment is, whatever the prevailing po mainstream political thought is, like, if we get there, whether you're in the left or the right, if you aren't in that default setting, like, it's going to, going to filter down to you. I, I can't subscribe to that. I think history shows we can't subscribe to that. Going back to the civil rights movement, like, that was nothing but identity politics. A bunch of people decried it at the time. I think we can see 50 years out while we still have issues, that was the way to go about it. So I'm all for specific legislation, specific talk, specific whatever towards groups or for groups, if you will. So I don't look at it as a negative at all. 
So in terms of how you position yourself ideologically, quasi, mm-hmm. you probably say you're liberal, you're African-American, you're a man. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that you're pigeonholed sometimes in those three categories, or do you merely embrace that that is your identity and for better or for worse, when you go to bat, <coughs> you're often doing so as a function of where you're coming from on those three different or, or even more sort of parts of your identity. Yeah, so those are three those are three parts of my identity. Of course y'all have to I mean, I've been blessed. Like I mean I had the opportunity to have a great education, like I had the opportunity to do a bunch of things that a lot of people who would be pigeonholed in that leftist male black would not be, you know, you would not associate with necessarily. So I get that, but for me, I think politics and really social interaction boils down to when you're walking down the street, what is it that people think about you? That's generally how you're going to be viewed. So I often get the, oh, like, you know, you went to this school, or you worked here or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but like when I walk down the street, that's not what people think. Like the people, people, people see, you know, the dreadlocks, people see that I'm black and they're going to assume that. And like that's kind of sort of what I'm fighting for and against. Against the stereotypes that associate that, but for the, hey, yes, I am black, I am male, I'm from the left. Like, these are the things that we think. Not overall, but generally, like, these are the things where somebody like me is is coming from, and that's okay. (laughs) Like, that's okay. So, with the Trump phenomenon, we've seen a lot of people, especially on social media, including interacting with you on Facebook, Mm -hmm. who would say, oh, Kwasi, you went to nice school mm-hmm. you got a good education you're part of the haves and you've been around you've had opportunities and then there's folks who are on the pro trump side of the mm-hmm. equation who'd say oh look at me i'm on the other side of the tracks i may be white and male but i'm underprivileged and i don't have access to opportunities whatever it may be how do you address that where normally you'd say oh as a black man i face these sorts of discrimination and prejudices but right now in the trump era there's so many people who say oh white males are discriminated against how do you cope with that sort of there's intersectionality but then there's this other thing where they're like we're disgruntled we're victimized it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about right about being pigeonholed and about this is like what i am this is what you are and kind of sort of the whole paradigm of walking down the street so you can take the disadvantaged the white male who feels like I haven't had any breaks. I don't have a financial leg up. And I get that. Of course, there are millions of people who are like that. And like I said, I've been blessed. I've had opportunities. Uh, I've been able to take advantage of opportunities that other people haven't been. That's also great. But when we're walking down the street and, you know, a policeman sees us, uh, a black lady sees us, a white lady sees us, Asian lady, whoever it is, like, what is it that they think when they first see me and this hypothetical disadvantaged white male. That's where the privilege comes in. That's where the advantage, that's, the, that, that's where the kind of sort of, hey, you have to look at this and it's not about me specifically or that hypothetical disadvantaged white male specifically. It's about how are we all looked at and viewed and judged. We have to look at things in, in kind of sort of a, outside of our own bubble. I mean, we can get into all sorts of statistics about, you know, white people without college degrees making the same amount of money as blacks and Latinos with college degrees and a lot of times with graduate school degrees, but it doesn't even have to go down to specific numbers or specific instances of privilege and what it means to be born 
certainly certain ethnicity certain religion like in this country like it comes with the territory so I would tell that person to stop thinking about this in the terms of of himself and me alone and think about the overall advantage we joke about I don't know if we've been back to Baltimore there's a there's a lot of homeless people right now, but there's a there's a lot of white homeless people like in both you know panhandling true, now and true. stuff like that where yeah. it used to be remember, right outside of Gilbert, the corner right. of Rowan Avenue and Union Parkway or uh, on uh, when you when you take Guilford down mm-hmm. uh, and you're about to get on Mount Royal like it's like white homeless people and right. it's like we joke we're like what happened <laughs> it's like, and it's like it's, it's a, the, and it's not that we don't feel for their plight or anything like that it's it's a matter of opportunity it's a matter of this is America like every, everything that we've seen shows that advantage is going to go to mm-hmm. certain people over others in spite of anomalies or outliers such as myself or other people what I find interesting, Quasi, is that a lot of people in your position, ideologically speaking, right now are sounding alarm bells. They're agitated, they're activists, they're freaking out that Trump is in office and on so many different fronts, whether it's immigration, civil rights, police brutality, mm-hmm. or LGBT rights, or women's rights, reproductive health. Mm-hmm. Um, just go down the line. So sure. every area that people left of center are concerned where things might change in the wrong direction right sure. now. It sounds like for you, this era has presented an opportunity yes. to better define yourself. Yes. And that you're saying, here's what I can define myself against. Here's what I know I am now. Mm-hmm. And so do you think that Trump is, is a boon for, for what you do and, and where you're going? Because 100%. You know, this, you say, this is what I'm not. And so... 100%. It's, uh, it's funny. And I was... Again, for people who are the left, I voted for. I was devastated for a little bit. I'm like, how did Trump become the president? What you're seeing, like, what's happening is kind of sort of, in a way, what we thought would happen. It's almost like reinvigorating. It's like, okay, this is what I stand for. What do you stand for? And people are kind of showing themselves. You, I'm sure you've heard the same rumors or same people. People are like, yeah, I've lost friends. I've lost, like, family members who are like, I didn't know that this was okay, like my roommate, my homegirl, she's always viewed herself as white first and then Jewish second. And then with like the rise of anti-Semitic accident, she's like found herself more like involved or enthralled in like her Judaism, both ethnically and religiously. And it's like, yeah, like that's what I'm talking about. It's like the, the, the era of Trump, it's what is it that you stand for and what is it that you don't? Are we for banning Muslims or are we not for banning Muslims? It seems like if it's one of those things where it's like, I'm 100% against that. And then there's other people who are like, yeah, but, and it's like, okay. Like that, for me, it's a clear line, clear lines are being drawn now. And like, that's okay. If you think about it, we're 50 years post Civil Rights Act of 64, kind of slowly going up, but a trailing off that has to be expected. And this is what happened this last election. I'm not saying people aren't justified for feeling the way they are, but you had to ignore a lot of things <laughs> in order to be like, I'm, this is what I'm supporting. And that's okay. Right. Now, what you just said definitely drives with what I've thought for a while, which is that Big Tent on the left is energized and to a certain extent, the ability to juxtapose the left against what Trump stands for Mm -hmm. has allowed for Muslims, Jews, white, blacks, Mm -hmm. women, progressive liberals, whatever on the left to come together and say, this is what we hate to be, to become, and this is what we want to avoid 
in America. But at the same time, everyone's scratching their heads and trying to figure out, all right, this all feels good that we can come together and we know that we don't want to ban Muslims, we don't want to bring coal back, we don't want to pull out from this international accord. But then it's like, but wait a minute, 2018, 2020, we need someone who can lead this whole thing. Uh-huh. People are still depressed. They remember that 2016, November 8th, we were all so, like, whoa, what, so. what happened? Uh-huh. We sort of know what happened, but some yeah. people still don't know. Don't know. <laughs> uh, in bringing that all together for the next time around, who leads this thing and how do we all unite under one you don't have to name someone like oh I know today it's Kamala Harris who's going to be in charge of this whole thing sure. and that's how we're going to sure. defeat the sure. big no I understand team. exactly what you're saying it's kind of sort of okay we know what we're against like what is it that we're for and who is it that embodies what it is that we're for I don't know I would ask that's a question I would ask you sir I think I think for right now I think it's good enough. At least we've yeah. even seen electorally uh, special elections. Dem- Democrats won like 30% of special elections in like deep red states that like mm-hmm. Trump won by an average of like 24 points. And it hasn't been like the kind of new wave we're going to take over the party. We aren't progressive enough Democrats that have been winning. It's been the kind of typical liberal like this is where I am on social issues. It's been the more traditional Democrat that's been winning. So for right now, and at least what we've seen from when Trump has been elected until now, being against Trump has actually been enough. Will it be enough for 2018? I don't know. Will it be enough for 2020? I certainly don't know. I think the best thing that we can do is kind of show that this is what we're for, this is what we're against. What we're for seems to be we're going to have to figure it out within the Democratic Party. Right? It's A lot of times people talk about the issues like, within the black community, right? And there are a lot of issues in the black community that like black people ourselves are gonna have to figure out. But like before we get there, <laughs> like we should probably worry about this whole equal rights, you know, constitutional, the constitutionally protections that we're supposed to have that don't like, once that gets figured out, like these other issues that we need to sort out within ourselves will figure themselves out. And I feel like it's kind of sort of the same thing on the left now. It's like, we have to be able to show, no, we're not for this. We are completely, antithetical to this once that is clear and i think it's being clear in a lot of places then we figure out what is it that we want do we want medicare for all or are we for more tempered health plan coming off of obamacare like do we want money in politics do we want to completely get rid of it or is money speech and like you know because there are a lot of wealthy democrats there are a lot there are a lot of wealthy democratic donors who are like yeah like my political activism is my checkbook and so, like, do we want to mute their voices the same that we would, you know, the traditional Republican boogeyman Koch voices or whatever or not? Like, those are the things that we have to solve within the group. But the first thing is, this is what we're against. Like, this is what we're not. And what we're for, we'll figure out, hopefully. And if not, hey, <laughs> things happen, right? Like I said, I'm, I'm completely, we've had 50 years of kind of constant progress for people who were disadvantaged, people who were underrepresented. So this is kind of whether this is a last hurrah for people who are like, I want things the way they used to be, or is this, uh, hey, we need to curb all these advances that these people have been making. Who knows? But we'll see. One of the things that I find interesting from, and this is moving away from the prognosticating about the future back towards 
sort of a post-mortem of what happened before 2016, we found out recently that the Russians were meddling in, <laughs> on Facebook in many different ways. And one of those ways runs against what we had thought about, what we had assumed about who they were backing, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. that they put their money on Trump and were investing in all these sort sure. of ad campaigns that highlighted either things that Trump was doing good or what Hillary was doing bad. But it turns out there was money on Black Lives Matter yeah. type things. And there's all this sort of social activism on the left that increases social foment and that creates this sort of turbulence in American society. Oh, surprise, surprise, the Russians want us to have chaos here. Yeah, absolutely. So does that change your feeling about BLM and, and how it works on the scene, that's delicate, the fact that now we know that it is. the articles that we read and the ways that those things surface on social media are sort of nefarious outside mm-hmm. forces that mm-hmm. want our society to experience more social divisions. Sure, sure. So it's always going, that's always going to be tough. We're talking about social movements that are generally leaderless, right? So there is no one person to be like, hey, that's not the stance of Black Lives Matter, right? So. That's part of what is jeopardized by having that kind of a that kind of a structure. Does it change my opinion of BLM? No, <laughs> no, not at all. We need a little social discord. The Russians, obviously, for geopolitical reasons, would want to foment social discord here. I get that. As a person of color, as a member of an underrepresented group, we kind of sort of need that, though. And this I can credit because he's been extremely vocal. There's a basketball coach, Greg Popovich, who has just been like, "Yeah, we're comfortable." Like <laughs> he's like, "Nothing." changes until people feel uncomfortable whether that's civil rights whether that was LGBT rights when people are comfortable they're, they don't want to change and so you have a lot of people who want the this is the greatest country in the earth on earth like, you know nothing's wrong like or things are wrong but it compared to anywhere else it's amazing so going to be tough to uproot those people or even kind of guide them towards hey have you looked at this or have you looked at that Russian meddling or even interference from the outside while they want to foment you know social discord like that's their objective maybe it's controversial maybe it's not that's kind of sort of the objective of BLM also like there has to be a disruption of the status quo this past election was a disruption of the status quo. This is what we normally do to countries. I know countries have been attempting to do this to us for a while and maybe have on some level, but never this successful. Never this successful. That kind of sucks for those of us who didn't want Trump to be in office or back to another candidate, another way of thinking. But as far as social unrest, social discord, you hear the term, oh, we've never been more, you know, divided than we are now. Of course, we, when were we ever together? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. What time right. point in America were we like, oh, this is cool. Like, everything is straight. Like, I guess when it was forced during slavery, maybe. Like, when it was codified in law during Jim Crow, maybe. But, like, I don't know. That's, that's the standard that we want to have. So, I'm not for a social discord sown by foreign actors to... <laughs> To kind of knock us, to kind of knock our standing down, or or to make it seem that we aren't the place that we are as far as the world is concerned. But social discord within the country and domestic politics, it it has to happen. Otherwise, like nothing will change. So I'm not aligned with the Russians or that, but at the same time, their aim is kind of sort of the same as ours. But and also, there are people who are gullible and easily misled everywhere. So. 
I'm sure you saw the same ads I did. They were all around. It's like a lot of things you just have to look at and read. And like, is this true? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like if I can't get it in four or five other places, like I, I doubt, I doubt its authenticity. So it's what it is. I'm glad you brought up the NBA and the basketball coach Popovich, mm-hmm. and I wanted to pivot into the sports world. Sure. Obviously, we're seeing a fair amount of disruption with our typical jocks on screen. They're normally associated yeah. with feeling good, feeling bad about your team winning or losing, but not about this larger display of patriotism or lack thereof. I'm going to start with a general question, but I think gets to the heart of the matter. Why doesn't Colin Kaepernick have a job yet? Oh, What's man. What's going on? Oh, man, I lost a steak dinner on that. <laughs> I said he would, and it was like, I don't think he's going to now. He doesn't have a job because he spoke out against the system, a system that has benefited like ownership in the NFL like tremendously. Like They're all billionaires. Like system's been good for them. So I'm speaking on inequality and police brutality amongst many other things. Like that's not only does that go against the system that's benefited them, like that's bad for business. So I almost looked at it as why Ray Rice didn't get signed. Ray Rice, you know, obviously he had the domestic violence issue and of course he made everything great with his wife and you know, he's been volunteering and things of that nature. But the first team that signs him is going to have all sorts of DV groups and women's groups would be like, why are you signing this monster? And it's not that he's better or worse than anybody. It's that we saw it. <laughs> we saw it on camera. And it was like, yeah, like you can't sign that guy. Mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick has been vocal. We saw him like not saluting the flag. I think the opponents have done an excellent job of making his protest something else that it wasn't. So score one for the opposition. But he doesn't have a job because... He's bad for business. <laughs> He's bad for the NFL business for sure. It's definitely not. It has nothing to do with ability. Nothing to do with anything else other than yeah, that guy. We're gonna lose sponsors if we sign that guy. Like we're gonna, we're gonna have to deal with a bunch of things that we wouldn't normally have to. That guy, the Giants owner, they were ready to sign him. He got hundreds of letters from season ticket holders, and we're up in New York. You know how Giants they go way back, right? People who had season tickets in their family since like the 20s and 30s, they're like, if you sign him, we're discontinuing our season tickets. And we know when it comes to personal seat licenses and season tickets, there's only but there's a certain amount of people who can afford that. It's either like a family thing or like, you know, you're pretty wealthy. So, and once you lose that kind of customer base, NFL owners are more willing to listen to season ticket holders, box holders than they are Joe James in section 537, right? So that's just what it is, yeah. But I think he had to have known in the back of his mind when he went on this protest, particularly with the uh, the the socks with the pigs, the cops, or whatever, and like pastoral shirt, that there, there was maybe a chance he would never work again, and that's okay. Right. So if you were Kaepernick's lawyer or financial advisor or his PR frontman, uh-huh. would you be telling him keep it up, buddy? You know, keep up the protest or would you present it to him as this sort of dichotomy? It could be like, okay, politically I support what you're doing, but for your own sake, maybe it's going to turn out better. And do you think he ha- he's prepared to give, just make that sacrifice? Just having, just, just having that kind of little bit of that background, I need to know, you know, what his financial objectives are, what his net worth is, like whether, like, you know, what is he looking to do investment-wise? Does he need more money or is he set? Personally, just me, like quasi friends. Oh my gosh, I feel like yes. Like let's go on tour and and make this happen. Let's take advantage of this while we can right now. You see, like people are clamoring to hear from him. I know he's been doing the speeches at schools and meeting with certain organizations, but 
there's kind of a nationwide clamoring, like, wow, like, you started this, like, what do we do now? And I don't even think it's necessarily incumbent upon him to continue it, but give directives to lead this or whatever. But I think 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to look back on it and be like, wow, that guy sacrificed, that guy went from the Super Bowl to being like an NFL pariah because he spoke about inequality. It's like, yeah, history's probably going to view him well, will view him well. And like, that's okay. It's not worthwhile if you don't sacrifice that. So, but socially, like if he wants to work in the NFL again, I don't know if it's possible. If he really does, though, he's going to have to go back on some things and, and maybe apologize. And there are a lot of us who would look at him awfully suspiciously. For instance, when the story dropped that he was like, oh, like, you know, I'll stop protesting if I can get a job. I was like, really? <laughs> and then, of course, he was like, no, I never said that. Because the whole thing loses its meaning. If this is about getting a job and getting a paycheck versus, you know, this is how I feel. But we have a term, it's called dancing. It's like, oh, you want to dance to get your job back? Give us a step. Give us a step or two and we'll give you your job back. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that. Not can't now. Do can't yeah. do it. <laughs> so I just got a news alert earlier today that the NFL ruled that they can't actually force players to stand for the anthem but that they recommended they they, the players don't have to stand but they think they should do you think they should what should players do (laughs) no imagine if we went to work and it's like imagine if you're still where any one of the publications you worked at it's like okay before you start then I'm going to need you to put your hand over your heart and like pay homage to the national anthem. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? Before I start writing my article today. Yeah, before today. you start writing your article today, it's like, wait, wait, you can't do any of this until like you pledge allegiance. I'm not sure if you can make people believe in your speech, like infringe upon their speech. Uh, that seems pretty absurd to me. But on the other hand, I thought Mike Tomlin solved this. This whole fiasco went down, but I, I couldn't understand how appearances would look. If you're on the field for the national anthem ceremony, you have to participate. Otherwise, you can just stay in the tunnel and stay in the locker room. Now, I'm sure the NFL doesn't want empty sidelines, half-empty sidelines. I'm sure teams may not want people separated along those that kind of a social issue before a football game. Feels weird, right? It's like you will be compelled to pay homage to like to pay homage to the flag and the national anthem, or else. Or else what? Like, <laughs> right. That's why he, they didn't want to go down. Yeah, that's a tough road to go down. You're also talking about you got to know your labor force, right? It's one of those Look at the percentages. It's sure. Not, it's not going to end well. Sure, it. not at all. Whereas hockey, that could be mandated, right? Baseball, that could be mandated. When we're looking at the president's tweets now, mm-hmm. we realize that he's obviously been obsessed over many things, tweeting at <laughs> ungodly hours. <laughs> yeah. But we've never had a president this obsessed with sports symbols. And yeah. obviously the height of it was a couple of weeks ago, but I'm sure we'll, it's a football season right now. This thing will probably heat up again, whether it's next weekend or the following. Sure. What does it mean for us as a society when our leader, the man in the White House, is so obsessed with athletes and the statements that they're making supposedly about politics? So, I mean... It's got to be troubling for some that he's wielding the power. I mean, each of these tweets are official statements from the office of the President of the United States. Mika Brzezinski, I saw her New Year's Eve, bad facelift. That is an official statement from the office of the President he's of the United States. Bleeding from the face. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, so that in itself should be troubling if you're like a citizen and you talk about respect for the office, respect for the position. In a way, it's smart, though. That's what 
the Bannon influences, that whole Breitbart influence, because politics is definitely downstream of culture. So going after sports, going after Hollywood, like that kind of sort of, that's good for him politically. So I get why he's doing it. I mean, I think it's inane. I think it's ridiculous, but there's definitely a political expertise behind it, kind of a political strategy behind it. But do I want the president tweeting about the NFL? No. Like, I, I don't care what the president thinks about the NFL. But if you're Trump and you know you got a base and you know you got a rally, you got razor thin margins by which you can, you can win, like, it makes sense, right? Why are these people with this workforce that's 70% black, quote unquote, not respecting our country by kneeling during the flag? It's like, oh, look at the hypocrisy in Hollywood, like, with uh, sexual assault and everything. Like, why, is, why do we look at these people? You know, why do we revere them? Why do we give them money, et cetera, et cetera? Like, I get it if you're him for sure politically, but I mean, he's the president though. Like, let's, 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 let's focus on, you know, you know, functions of the executive branch, like the NFL, Hollywood. I agree with what you're saying because when you look at the Breitbart website, they've got big government, big yeah. media. Yeah. Now they have big tech. Yeah. And so big Hollywood, big sports athletes, mm-hmm. you know, they they have their targets and yeah. there are all these different uh, institutions that they can harp on and sure. that's a way to get their supporters riled up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know the game and it, it makes, again, it makes sense. Like it does politically. I know these soldiers died, but I'd rather tweet about the NFL. <laughs> and he won't even go visit <laughs> with. He won't go visit the, uh, After two weeks and then he's saying that the soldier uh, knew what he got into. Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> Come on, like, talk about respect. He's the commander, the, the, the quote unquote commander in chief, the law and order president, the guy who loves the troops. It is what it is. But I don't blame him. He is who he is. Like, I mean, he has no credit. There's no cachet up here. He had to go someplace else. So I think he's found it. And people who feel that they've been neglected by government, they, they've been neglected by you Ivy League writer types, and maybe it was, it was time for a change. <laughs> right. But aren't all these things just a distraction, though? I mean, we're talking about exchanges that take place on social media, in the Twitter sphere, on Facebook. Sure. All of these things are about cable news ratings. They're not about policy. And so if you care about making the difference in the policy realm, isn't all of this... I mean, it's all symbolic, but I guess it... Therefore, it matters because symbols do matter. Sure. Symbols are important, and all the rhetoric sure. is functional in a sense, and it does drive discussions. Sure. And so, how do you sort of, in deciding what is important for you to debate, what's a sideshow and what's actually crucial to the political process? So, for me, I've never chosen like what's important or what's not. For me, it's always just been about being factual. It's like if I see something, it could be super unimportant like hey like you know you're when you you're they're disrespecting the flag while kneeling it's like no like this is actually a flag code to anything to hey like he stood firm he drew a red line on north korea and they didn't cross it it's like well actually he said he's gonna rain fire and fury and he threw a couple more rockets and nothing happened like importance is always going to be subjective when it comes to like these topics and issues i agree with you that a lot of things that he focuses on are like unimportant they're not, if you're a policy wonk, this is not a policy president. This is a ratings president. This is like a reality show president. This is a Hollywood president. This is a, hey, look at me, look at what I'm saying, look at, you know, forget what I'm doing. Or in his case, not doing. I think what we're seeing another positive, really encouraging part about the rise of Trump is 
for all of its flaws, and we've talked to, I'm certainly one of the first one person to talk about the flaws in the country, in the system, like, this system kind of works. This guy wants all sorts of things done, and Congress is like, eh. <laughs> He's literally trying to implement an agenda through executive action, executive memorandum, executive order, and the courts are like, <laughs> like our checks and balances are there and to the extent that we have a guy where his hand-picked secretary of state his hand-picked cabinet and generals are like we don't know about this guy these are people that he picked and they're like yeah we don't know about him and the damage that he's been able to do he's done a lot he's done a lot of damage but it hasn't been what it could have been and that's because of the system that we had set up so as somebody who very much is about constitutional law and civics, who's made his business, like, I love that part. I, mm. I think that's been amazing. Not to say that he can't get Congress to pass laws and uh, implement his MAGA agenda or whatever, but so far, I mean, you know presidential cycles, you get about a year. <laughs> you get about a year, year and a half to get like what you want, and then you're campaigning for the rest of the time. You got midterms, and then it's like your campaign. So he's running out of time. So we'll see if we can get a wall or the third Muslim ban has been shot down by a couple of courts. You destroy Obamacare, even though I thought it was imploding. But if it was imploding, why would you need to sabotage it? But it's, it's what it is. So we'll see. One of the defining features of this political epoch is that things seem to sway wildly back and forth. There's this oscillation between, mm-hmm. oh, no, Obamacare is done. It's out the window. And then, oh, wow, we have this deal despite the executive order sure. from Trump several days ago it looks sure. like these two senators just mm-hmm. reached mm-hmm. an agreement on how to rescue the subsidies over the next two years they sure. go to the insurance companies then as you just mentioned the court in Hawaii mm-hmm. federal district court they just said oh guess what Muslim ban number like three Maryland today finished. Also. and Maryland yeah. as well mm-hmm. and so everything's very chaotic unpredictable which was fascinating to just study this stuff day in day out, see where we're going. But from your point of view, as someone intimately involved in the media space, how do you (laughs) carve out your difference in the the political sphere? Where do you see your role in sort of motivating people, getting them to act, getting them to speak out? How does that move forward with your role? Do you try to change the discourse to different issues? Do you sort of focus on where people are already concerned about Talking on. So you're getting me to shamelessly plug like Killing the Breeze, which I, I guess I should, but like, <laughs> I've never really been one for that. So our, our setup is different. We basically, we not demand, we kind of sort of look for people who have an expertise, a background in the subject matter, whether it's professional, usually professional or academic, but sometimes it's people who are like, I'm really interested in this and like I've studied a lot about it. And we kind of sort of want them to present what it is that they think. I don't really guide anything. I don't really think it's my job or really anybody's job to guide how people think. What I do think is important and where I think Trump and his cohort is especially dangerous and one, one of the few places that I'm actually discouraged by is the presentation of facts. There used to be kind of sort of a objective standard. It's like this is factual. And then we've got alternative facts introduced and then this the whole fake news phenomenon where it should be things that aren't true and it's more or less becoming like things I don't like. That's scary. I saw that 46% of people think the media invents things on Trump 
And I'm like, but you can source these things yourself. We're no longer in a time where the where gatekeepers of information are, you know, alphabet news agencies or, you know, a library or, I mean, we're incredibly lazy. You can get information at like the, your, your phone now. There's no impetus, there should be no God to be like, this is how you should think or this is how you should act. Here are the facts. Take them for what you will and then act accordingly. If you can say that, oh, like Trump has been a tireless defender of civil rights for 40 years, and then like you can show the facts, whether it's his comments in Central Park Five, or discriminating against uh, blacks and Latinos, or a whole host of other things. Like if you can look at those facts and still make that statement, I can't, there's nothing that I can do to make you think differently or make you act differently. But if you look at that and conversely, you're like, hmm, maybe there is some connection between Trump, the man who did these things, and Trump, the guy who thinks that there were some good people amongst the white supremacists. Like, this, you know, like maybe that spurs you to act or even spurs you to think differently about the man. Like, then I feel like I've done my job, man. But I learned a long time ago, people normally are who they're going to be. And when they reveal themselves, like, believe them. <laughs> like, that's who they are. So that's why this whole thing is, is very interesting. I mean, going back to one of your earlier questions you were talking about, lines in the sand or, like, you know, pigeonholing things or, like, you know, identity, like, who you are and who you aren't. Like, it's clear. Like, people, how people define themselves are generally how they're going to. It takes a lot to change. What it doesn't take a lot, just a lot to do is to get somebody to... For, less, for lack of a better term, bandwagon. So something, if, if, if something becomes popular, something becomes within, you know, kind of a presence within the zeitgeist, like, people will jump on a band. They won't do it themselves, but if they see that other people are doing it and other things have happened, like, that's the case. This NFL deal is a perfect example. Like, he, he, started, he started this, like, last year. The first three times he did, nobody noticed. <laughs> nobody and now, like, now they've got players kneeling in other countries and stuff. I'm sure part of Cavs like, who were you guys last year? But another part is, okay, like, I started some. There's a bandwagon, and now, we can, now we're able to do things. So it is, it is what it is, but it's tough to get people to change. Tough. I think that's why government's set up the way it is, knowing that, right? That's why it's so hard to change laws, change, like, it's, it's not easy. There's certainly a lot of things that are encouraging, but also every day we wake up and then a lot of depressing sure. news items as well. So sure. up and down, up and sure. down. Well, Quasi France, thank you so much for joining us on Air Brooklyn. Thank you for having me, man. Killing the Breeze. Where do people go find you on social media? Why don't you? Uh, wow. Like I said, I'm really bad at plugging myself. Uh, www.killingthebreeze.com. Killing Breeze Facebook page uh, on Twitter, we're Killing the Breeze, no E on the end. Instagram, Killing the Breeze. Pinterest, Killing the Breeze. Uh, still doing Pinterest. Still Is that still there? Pinterest. People care it's about Pinterest. Pinterest. People love the pictures, man. I told you. I told you. Like when we started this, my my partner at the time, he was like, "Yeah, man. Like somehow we're gonna have to have be able to transition this to like." video audio and like pictures like people don't like to read words they just want to look at things right. and listen so that's where it is but dude yeah no i appreciate it this was good stuff excellent well uh that's all for today thanks again and uh join us next time Thank mm-hmm. you.
Thank <laughs> you.